If you would, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 36 through 42. 1 Samuel 25, 36 through 42. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, so that he became like a, as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord God who pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail, to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her. She followed the messengers of David. She became... His wife, the word of the Lord. You know, when Jesus talks about the day of the Lord in Mark thirteen thirty two, Jesus says the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? Jesus says the day of the Lord. This is one of those questions you have to answer at Presbytery. What is the day of judgment? What is the day of the Lord? And you need to be able to say an answer going something like this. It's a certain day. It's a day of certain judgment. It's a day you don't know when it is. And that means you must be prepared for it. God the Father has given all authority into Jesus' hands as the judge. And when Jesus comes, He will, he will, he will separate the righteous from the wicked. He will separate the sheep from the goats and the good fish from the bad fish. The righteous are those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The righteous are those who have prepared for Jesus' coming. They have lived their faith. They have shown that their faith works and they will enter into a place of bliss called heaven. The wicked are those who will not put their faith and trust in Christ. They will not prepare for that day and they will enter into a place where there's nothing but burnings and it's called an eternal hell. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. It's a certain day. It's a day that we do not know when it is. Therefore, you and I, we must be prepared. Now, this day we're talking about, the day of the Lord, it is a day out in the future. But in the Bible, we have days. We have days that look like that day. Pictures of that day. There was a day of the Lord in the time of Moses. Korah, 
Dathan and Abiram, if you are readers of your Bible, you'll know that you get to those passages of Scripture where Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they are rebelling against Moses and Aaron, and God opens the earth and swallows all 250 of them, those three men and their followers, their families, swallows them up. That's a day of the Lord. And on the same day, 15,000 people died in a plague. God separated Moses and Aaron again from all those 15,000, and they died in a plague. It was a day of the Lord. It was like the day of the Lord that will come in the future. And so tonight we want to look at one day, a day in the life of Nabal. Now we've studied Nabal a few weeks ago. Remember what Nabal means? Nabal means fool. <laughs> Nabal's a fool. That's the name of Nabal. That's what his name means. We, we, we still try to Figure out why does Abigail, intelligent and beautiful, marry the fool. We don't know why, but she did. Maybe she'll tell us one day. But Nabal was a prominent man. Nabal was a man who faced a day of judgment. He did not know it was coming, and when he did not know it was coming, he was unprepared, and he died. We're going to see that in the sermon. Nabal was a prominent man of wealth. As we read our text earlier, he owned a thousand sheep, three thousand um, in three thousand sheep and a thousand goats. He lived the life of a king. Did you remember it said he was live, having a feast like a king, a feast just like King uh, Saul? So he's a man of prominent wealth, and he's a man of prominent descent. You know, this, there's a song we sing for Vacation Bible School. I'm afraid to say this because somebody might burst out and sing, but it it goes like this: Ten said no. And two said go. I bet Sumter knows that. And it's, it's the song about the spies going in and looking and spying out the land of Egypt. And Caleb and Joshua said, two said go. And this man was from the line of Caleb. He's a prominent, he has a prominent descent. He's prominently wealthy. He has prominent descent. He comes from the line of those two men, one of those men who said go into the land of Canaan. But he was also a man of prominent wickedness. Because even though he had wealth, it was only in temporal things. And even though he had a family, a great descent from Caleb, he was a wicked branch from that line. And so we find that he was a man of wickedness. The Bible tells us he was mean and unapproachable. And his meanness and his unapproachableness is is uh, showed to us on vivid display as David. Remember what David did earlier in our passage. We didn't read this, but last time we talked about the fact that David was like a wall for all of his sheep shearers, all of his shepherds, all of the sheep. David and all of his men protected Nabal and everything Nabal had. And when it was time, when David basically said, give me a tip for all the help I provided for you, he refused him. He refused to give him the crumbs that fell from his table, and he insulted him with a massive insult. And so Nabal returns David's kindness with evil. And this provokes the anointed king. Nabal provoked the anointed king. Now David's going to sit on the throne later. But he is the anointed king, and Nabal's wickedness has provoked king, uh, king David, who will sit on the throne later. And he is on his way down the ravine, and Nabal does not know he's coming. David and his men are strapped with their swords on their side, and they're swearing oaths that they will kill Nabal and all his men. And David's anger was right, and David's anger was wrong. You get that? Right and wrong. How is it right? He was offended. 
And he was, he was terribly offended. And it was wrong for Nabal to treat him this way. But he was, anger was also wrong. Because it wasn't for David to go charging down the ravine and put Nabal and all his men to death. That's for God to judge. This would have been a personal revenge. David would be doing just the opposite of what he had trained all his men to do when it came to King Saul. David's anger was right. And David's anger was wrong. Nabal also is unaware that this judgment is coming. He's dwelling in a world of security. Remember what we read? He's celebrating. He's having a feast. In his heart, he's thinking peace and security. All is well with me and all is well with mine. And he doesn't know that the wrath of David is coming down the ravine to kill him and to kill all his men. He's in peace because he does not know what's on the way. And so we see Nabal's rescue. Remember how Nabal was rescued. Abigail finds out that David is on the way and Nabal doesn't know. And she rushes out with great haste. She humbles herself before David. She takes her husband's sin on herself. She makes restitution for him and provides for David the food that he should have gotten from her husband. She replaces a public insult with public praise. She persuades David from his course of sin. She reminds him that God will judge his enemies. And when David saw her humility, when David heard her confession, he forgave her and he forgave Nabal. Nabal, the wrath of God against David against Nabal is averted for a few moments. The train wreck that was coming is stopped by his wife. It was absolutely certain. He did not know it was coming. And his wife stepped into the picture and stopped it all. And verse 37 says this, In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. Now I want you to think about what she said. Nabal, you've offended David. You've sinned against David and you've returned evil for good. David was on his way to destroy you, strapped with a sword. And all his men were strapped with their swords and they were all swearing out oaths against you. But I have gone out and pled for your life and taken your sin upon myself. I have replaced what you should have given him with with things that belong to us. I've made restitution. And you, you, my husband, will live another day. But Nabal, and I want to explain this to y'all later, but just take my, take my word for it. Nabal, I can hear her saying, not only have you sinned against David, but you've sinned against God. You're drunk, you're mean, you're selfish, you're stingy, but you're going to live another day. Understand, dear husband, that you've not only sinned against David, but you've sinned against God, and God is being patient with you. His wrath has not fallen on you. Yet, isn't this exactly the case with sinners? The day of the Lord is a day of certain judgment. It's unknown to us, and it will certainly come. Jesus will separate the righteous from the the wicked, and He will be right. He will not be wrong. He will be right in every part of His just justice on that day. But you and I, we must remember that before this day comes, that the greater son of David has already come and laid his life down for all of us, Nabals. For all of us. 
He has placed Himself in front of that train. He's absorbed His humanity in His humanity all of what our sins deserved. And like Abigail for Nabal, Jesus took upon Himself our sins, our debt, and He made a perfect sacrifice. God's wrath was averted in Jesus Christ. It's a certain thing that's coming. It's a day unknown, but a solution has been provided because the one who will judge in the future has already come and taken the judgment for all us Nabals. Jesus is preaching to us tonight the same message. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment, and you and I, we must be prepared. We get to live another day. You have time today because God is patient and merciful. So many times, if you go and you read Second Peter, in Second Peter, Peter's dealing with men who are false prophets and they're trying to question whether the day of the Lord's ever going to come. And this is what they say. These are what the scoffers are saying. Where's the promise of Jesus coming? Ever since the fathers died, everything is going on just as it has been from the beginning. And this is, Dave, this is what Peter says. Listen to this. This is really good. You are deliberately forgetting that there was a time when God existed without the earth and the heavens and all that is. And then God spoke and then there was the heavens and the earth. You are deliberately forgetting that there was a flood in the days of Noah. And Noah built an ark and the people got on the ark and there was this destruction that took place. You are forgetting that God has acted into His creation. You're forgetting it. Things have not always gone on as they have from the beginning because God is at work and the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You and I sometimes do not think that God is slow regarding His justice, but He is slow because He's being patient. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. See, between the day Jesus came and the day that Jesus comes again, God is patient. God is giving all us Nabals another day to repent so that we might be prepared to meet Jesus Christ. Why are we at odds with God? Think about that text. <laughs> Nabal, Nabal was insulted David. Nabal insulted the man who's taking care of him. Nabal insulted all the men that were taking care of him. Think about it. I think sometimes about Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson says that you and I are creations of God and we owe him the rent. Are we paying him the rent? What's the rent? Loving him? Loving him? Adoring him? Giving him all that he deserves? And so like Nabal, we sometimes we find ourselves on the wrong side of that. What would we think? What would we think as, as, as we stand as ones who provoked God, what would you think if your son came to you and took your estate, took your money, took your kindness and trampled all of it under your feet? I would say this, young people, what would you think if your brother or sister comes in your room and touches one of your things? Whoa. What happens? Oh, are we, are we impatient? <laughs> Am I impatient? Oh man, you know, I'm I'm I'll tell you, I'm fixing to be 63 years old. Sometimes I get impatient and I had to learn not to be impatient when somebody touches one of my things. Cuz they might break my thing. <laughs> you know. 
And yet God, what does he do when we've insulted him? Oh, he's patient. He's not going to strike too fast. Thomas Watson puts it like this. I see the justice of God with a flaming sword in his hand and he's ready to strike. And then I see the patience of God crying out to justice. Lord, spare him a little longer. I see the angel of the Lord crying out to God saying, Shall I smite him, Lord? Lord, these are sinners. They are such sinners. Shall I not strike them? Shall I not take off their, these drunkards' heads? Shall I not take off these swearers' heads? And the patience of God says as a dresser of the vineyard, Let them alone for one more year. Let them alone. Oh, the infinite patience of God towards sinners. Has God found us today? We've all found ourselves one day or another, we found ourselves to be Nabals, haven't we? Is God letting you go one more day unharmed that He might be patient to you so that you might find Jesus Christ and be ready for the great day ahead? Well, let's look at Nabal's response. This is really something. Look at Nabal's response in verse 37. She comes and she tells him all this good news. And look at his response. This is unbelievable. Verse 37. And his heart leap for joy. And his heart died within him. So that he became as a stone. That is his response. Wow. What's that mean? Well, some people think. Some people think that he had such a physical shock that he had a heart attack or he had a series of, of, of strokes and he became comatose. Some people believe when it says his heart died, he's not talking about his physical heart, but he's talking about his soul and at the core of his being that he became so depressed that he couldn't function. I mean, we've, we've, we've met people like that, haven't we? We try to talk people out of being in the bed all day long. I mean, he just barely escaped this wrath, this judgment, and now he's like a stone. He's like a walking dead man. He goes from being Mary to being like a stone. Wow. He cannot respond the right way to the good news. Many people presume that when the day of the Lord is at hand, that they're going to have plenty of time to make peace with God. You know, one of the things that, that, is, that really has taught me over the past years is going to, 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 to the bedsides and going to hospitals is I'm sitting there and I'm talking to people and they can't respond because they're impaired. Oh, i got plenty of time to make peace with God. you got 10 days to live. You may not be able to respond because you can't even think. You're in a coma. We can't assume or presume that we are going to be the person who can make peace with God. We may be impaired. Let's assume for a moment that Nabal's heart died with him, that this refers to great depression. You know, one of the things that the devil loves to do is to so focus our minds and our hearts on our sins, our many sins or those are a mountain sin. Many sins are one big old mountain sin, big one. And what does he do? He, he, he so focuses on these things and that's all we can see. Are, are we going to presume that we're going to be the ones who can 
get our eyes on Jesus. You know, we had a lady, or Mrs. Arlena Mahaffey, she was in our church in Tyler. <laughs> and she, she lived a very long life. And she used to sit with a Bible in, on her lap with one of those magnifying glasses about that big. <laughs> it made the words this big, you know. That's what the devil does. He would love to get our eyes on our sins or our sin so that we not see Jesus Christ. And who are we to think that we're going to be so great that we don't focus on our sins and we miss a Savior? I would tell you not to fall for that scheme, but who knows? As we look at this last part of this and move to the Lord's Supper, many, when this time comes, they think they can make peace and that it's going to be, listen to these words, it will be easy. It will be easy to make peace with God. Well, if you're physically impaired, you won't make peace with God. And if you're in such a great depression and can't get your eyes off your many sins or your mountain sin, you're not going to make peace with God. And make sure that you know it's not going to be easy. You know, listen, listen to this quote. I think most of you probably know this. Sow a thought, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. You see, the point of that is when you choose to sin, it gets easier to sin, and you choose the next sin, and it's easier to sin more, and you just keep sinning, and that becomes your habit, that becomes your character. The same thing happens when we choose to go the right direction. If we keep choosing to sin, it's easier to sin, and we hold on to our sin, and guess what? Sin holds on to us. It doesn't just so easily let us go. Entering the kingdom of God will not be without birth pains. Entering the kingdom of God will not be without uh, cutting off our hands of sin, cutting off, tearing out our eyes of sins. One commentator put it like this, it will not be so easy to jump out of Delilah's lap and into Abraham's bosom. J.C. Ryle writes on the thief on the cross, I have never forgotten this. When it comes time to die, many people think, hey, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. That guy, he's hanging there on the cross and all of a sudden he changes his tune. He's yelling at Jesus. He's insulting Jesus. And then he says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, that's good. That one's for me. I'm going to wait to the end. It's going to be easy. But this is what Ryle says. He says, don't assume that's you. (laughs) It's there to give us hope that people can be saved at the bitter end. But you need to presume that that's not you. You need to presume that you're the one who's on the other side, still screaming insults at Jesus on the cross. God spared Nabal for 10 days, and then he died. Let's think about that for a second. So God was patient with Nabal. He gave time for Nabal to repent. The good news came to him from his wife, and he couldn't respond. A day of the Lord passed, and ten days later there was another day of the Lord in the life of Nabal. It was certain, it was unknown to him, but it was known to God, and he was not prepared. Look at verse 38. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Nabal did not die of natural causes. That's a a shocker. God struck Nabal because Nabal had just not just sinned against David, he had sinned against God. 
and vengeance fell on him. And this is what David said. God has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. The day of the Lord in the life of Nabal is given to us to remind us that we need to be prepared. We must not assume that we will be in our right mind before we die. We must not assume that it's going to be uh, easy for us to turn away from our sins. We must not assume that our minds are just going to be able to look to, to Jesus. We may be just so focused on our sins. We're given this day of the Lord right now in the life of Nabal to warn us to prepare for Jesus' day when He comes. Jesus says words like this, Be prepared. Keep watch. You do not know what day your Lord will come. He will come like a thief in the night. He says, Keep your lamps burning. Be on your guard and stay alert. Be like men who are waiting for their master to return. Whose example should we follow? Well, we should follow the example of Abigail. When she found out that David and wrath was coming down to judge them all, she ran out to meet the scheme. She ran out and she confessed and she ran out and she made restitution and she ran, ran out and made peace with God. And in order for us to be prepared, we must go out to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus we need to bow ourselves to Him and call on His name and plead for mercy. Receive His mercy. Be sober, be holy. Be in the assembly of God's people. We need to be keepers of the Lord's day. Join to Christ. Join to His people. Stirred up by the preaching of the Word by our ears as we hear the Word of God. And stirred up in our senses as we take the Lord's Supper. As I said to you all this morning, um, the Lord's Supper is meant to stir us up. Our eyes, our mouths, our taste, our touch. We're to be stirred up by this experience tonight. So with these thoughts on our mind, let me read to you the invitation to the Supper as Jesus has instituted it by, uh, the, in the words of the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We, we didn't cover this part in the sermon, but do you remember what David did at the end? He made an invitation to Abigail to be his wife. And at this table, it's for all us Abigails who are prepared for the day of the Lord. It's for all of us who have bowed down before Him. It's for all of us who have made ready for His second coming. And so you're invited this, this evening. You're invited to come and to take this supper. Are you baptized? Are you a member of this church? Are you under the uh, govern, government of a session who loves you and cares for you? This is for you tonight. We're also asked to examine our hearts before we eat and drink. 
So I'm going to ask that you would just examine your hearts and ask yourself, have I done what Abigail did? Have I bowed down? Have I come out, come out before him and called on his name? It's for all of us who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you wish to partake today, just remember, come with nothing in your hands. Come only leaning on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Come to this table and eat. Come to this table and drink. Jesus offers himself to you. He doesn't offer part of himself to you. He offers all of himself to you. And when you eat and when you drink, you receive all of him and all of his benefits to the nourishment of your soul. Let's eat and drink tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and to participate in this meal tonight with you. We thank you that you give yourself to us again and we have the opportunity to take you into ourselves one more time to re-ratify this covenant for you to tell us that you love us and for us to tell you we love you. And so, Father, we pray that we might eat and drink to your glory and for our good. Set these elements apart from their common sacred use. Oh, Father, we pray. Bless us now as we, as we do this before you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.